Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. A few years after Barkley had gone through his successful cancer treatment, he started having extreme vertigo and the doctor ordered an MRI of his brain. And I was very nervous, obviously wanted it right away. I got a call from the scheduling coordinator and she asked me when we wanted to have it. I said, right, as soon as possible. And she asked me a bunch of kind of pre-scheduling questions. She put me on hold. I waited. She came back. She said, it's all set. It's Monday morning, 8 a.m., the small magnet, no food, no problem with eating food or drink, just no alcohol, 24 hours ahead of time. Be there at 7.30. Great. I thought, oh my God, I felt such relief. Monday morning, that's so quick. And you sometimes you have to wait forever for an MRI. I was so relieved. But it was at that point, and primarily because of applied curiosity training, that I decided to see that calm as a hint that I needed to elevate curiosity because I needed to ask one more question. I needed to mind that gap between what I wanted to know that we were getting this done right away and what I needed to know. So I asked her one question, which was, what is the small magnet MRI? How many MRIs are there? Are there large magnet, small, how many? And she says, well, you know, there's a small magnet and large magnet MRI, but I, because your son has a permanent retainer in his mouth, metal, so I had to go ahead and order the small magnet MRI. And I said, well, do you think that it would be wise to wait and find out about whether the metal retainer should come out? She says, well, when I called the doctor, they were on lunch. So I went ahead. I knew you wanted the the appointment right away. I said, well, you know, I think it would be wise to wait and see if the magnet or the rather the retainer should come out and whether the small or large magnet MRI should be used. If this was your child, what would you do? She says, I'd probably wait and see. I said, well, then let's do that. Of course, we had the large magnet MRI because a different scheduling coordinator called back several hours later admonishing me for demanding to have this done right away and telling me that the small magnet MRI, given Barclay's symptoms and history, was counterindicated, should not be used, and that only the large magnet should be used. And I would have to wait till Wednesday. We'd have to wait till two whole days to have it done. And I thought to myself, well, if I hadn't even asked, we would have had that small magnet MRI and we would have had the result that everything is fine. Now, as it turns out, everything was fine. The large magnet MRI showed no badnesses in the brain, which was obviously a concern given that mom died of brain cancer and Barclay had cancer in the past. But what if the small magnet MRI had shown that it was perfectly fine? That would have showed what we wanted to know, but not necessarily what we needed to know. And I think a lot about that as we, as I think about how we make decisions and particularly how do we make medical decisions? So I ask you this curiosity bite. How do you evaluate medical decisions? I think a lot of times when I'm making medical decisions in the past, I have done it absolutely poorly, just so poorly. And I've made some 
enormous mistakes and I have huge regrets for some of the medical decisions that I've made. Now, I usually just grab you and have you help me with it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have a consultation coming up for um, basically a nose job. I like to say it's a nose job because my nose collapsed and I can't breathe in my right nostril. And I want you to come with me to my consultation so you can ask all the curious questions. I sort of rely on you now for making better decisions. But I mean, I, I think about this because when mom was sick and I remember we went in for an MRI and I would be asking all these questions. So annoying. And it was annoying and she found it annoying and she let me know. I mean, I could tell and I asked her and she said, I just don't want you to ask all those questions. I just need to feel she was looking for she said she was looking for the best result. But what she was looking for was calm. Yeah. Assured. I mean, she was going to die anyway. So. But at that point, she didn't know that. So mm. I don't think that that was exactly, I don't think that was so so clear at this point. Mm. So we went in for this one MRI and the doctor was showing these things. And of course, I had tons of questions because doctors like to use stories to make people feel more comfortable. And I think stories can be a distraction. And I pay attention to when there's like a metaphor because I think that's a sign to head toward data, right? Mm -hmm. So I said to her going in, I said, you know we're going to have this MRI. I, you want me with you. I, You have a couple of options. You can either allow me to follow my curiosity and ask the questions or not. And not means even if there is a burning question, a disparity, something that just does not make sense, where I think by asking that question, we can get clarity and potentially a better result. But it's I'm all in or not. I can't just ask some of the questions and leave it at that. Could which, you Could you sit there and not? Ask a question? Yeah, yeah, actually. And so she said to me, I don't want you to ask any questions. <laughs> so we were there and the doctor's telling his stories. And of course, I have many, many questions and I didn't say anything. Your tongue was just bleeding. Oh, I was like pouring blood in my mouth. <laughs> I was like gulping down the blood. <laughs> and mom looks over at me and she, with kind of hopeful eyes. And I just had a blank step stare. I wasn't torturing her, but it was a commitment. And finally, she like, kept looking at me and then she oh jesus christ becky just ask i said absolutely not i will not i take it back i will not and ultimately that was the right thing because it turns out that i knew at that point i mean maybe it wasn't totally clear but it, you know she had glioblastoma no one's ever survived glioblastoma. It really in the long run didn't make a difference so she could just use whatever story it was most important that she felt good about it more than or hopeful more than it would affect the impact the efficacy of her treatment. So of course, if I would have had maxo when I had maxofacial surgery, I wish that I would have had you more involved. But sometimes it's creates a lack of comfort and it only seems to be helpful in the rearview mirror. I mean, in hindsight, people True. are it's very important to know what you want to know versus what you need to know and illuminate that information gap. I mean, we see it in business all the time. We think about it with medical decisions, but take it in business and still people, they don't, when we go into our assumption busting practices, they don't always want to do that. So there has got it takes to be up too much time. They just want that answer and moving on. Well, there's that. And then also just kind of the, the cognitive friction that it happens. So, you know, we take, we require a major buy-in just like I did with mom. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, so let me ask you, when you think about how people make medical decisions, I think a lot about loss aversion. People will respond very differently to something that has an 80% survival rate than they will to re respond to something that has a 20% mortality rate, even though it's the same exact statistic. Just because, why? Because it's more positive? What What is the reason for that? I don't get it. Well, there's all kinds of things. I mean, there's loss aversion or prospect theory, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky. And that people will move to eliminate a loss more than they will move to 
acquire a game. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Okay. I'll ask you a process. You want me to ask you a loss aversion question? Sure. Let's say that, 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 that make me look good. Make you look good? <laughs> okay, let's do it. All right, all right. I'm not going to warn you that there is an M word involved and you're gonna, you can rack your brain thinking of M word, but I need you to get into the flow and no matter what, just like don't get panicky, all right? Oh. Ready? Okay, here's the situation. Imagine the U.S. is preparing for an outbreak of an unusual disease which is expected to kill 600 people and you can choose one of two programs. Program A, if that's adopted, 200 people will be saved. Okay? Okay. If program B is adopted, there's a one-third probability. Now, don't... Let's see. Okay, I'm looking at your eyes. You hear math. <laughs> one, a, a fraction? <laughs> I'm not good with fractions. <laughs> a one-third Can prob- I just round it up to one-fourth? <laughs> no, because it's so different. You're dealing with one-fourth. Why is one-fourth easier with 600 than one-third? That doesn't know. even make sense. <laughs> now, listen. If, if program okay, B okay. is adopted, there's a one-third probability that 600 people will be saved and a two-thirds probability that no people will be saved. Which one would you choose? Program A or program B? And you only have a second because we can't go on. Well, I would choose program A. Okay. For great. very different many different reasons. Okay. So a one, one is I understand it better. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> one third probably well, that's well, that makes sense because that tells you if you had a medical decision that was very complicated, in fact it was complicated, and one that was simple or told in a simple way, you may not delve into what has more statistical effectiveness, you may just need to, which is also important when you're presenting or helping someone as a medical advocate, making it easy. Because quite frankly, a one-third probability that 600 people will be saved and a two-thirds probability that no people will be saved is very much mathematically the same as 200 people will be saved. Oh, you're right. All right. Now, here's the second (laughs) option. Program A, and this is all borrowed from Thinking fast and slow. Uh, oh, Daniel Kahneman's God, book. So there we go again. Yeah, my boyfriend Shout Daniel. Shout out to Dan. Dan Danny, Danny boy. And it goes by Dan- Danny. Does he? Danny Kahneman, yeah. Oh, Danny Kahneman. If program A is adopted, 400 people will die. If program B is adopted, there's a one-third probability that nobody will die and a two-thirds probability that 600 people will die. Which would you choose? A. You'd still choose A because of the math. Yes. (laughs) No one can see your sheepish look through the radio waves. I don't want them to see it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, also, I think about who gets saved, I guess. And I don't think about who is going to die. Which one would you choose? Program A, where 200 people will be saved, or program B, where 400 people will die? Oh, probably... 200 people will be saved. Okay, even though it's the exact same thing. Right. Right, exactly. And that's a little bit of an example of loss aversion. I do think that... I, I, okay, yeah, I get All that. Right. So it's important to kind of think about that when you're looking at medical decisions and also looking at the difference between probability and possibility. I think mm. we sometimes conflate the definitions of probability, maths, and yeah. possibility, just whatever out there. I mean, anything's possible, right? Yeah. I'll give you another example. And then, because I don't want, you know, I just, this is good to think about. This is another interesting thing about how we make medical decisions. And this was a study where ductal carcinoma in situ, so it's a form of breast cancer, or, or it's a it's a really limited form of breast cancer. Just in the ducts. Yeah. In the, in the ductal carcinoma, in situ. In situ. So when it was described as a form of cancer or when it was described as a high-risk condition, in which case did more patients opt for surgery? Did they say cancer properly? Cancer. Then I would say cancer. They whispered it. Yeah, you don't say cancer out loud. You say cancer quietly. Right. 
So you're saying, cancer. So you're right. That most yeah, people. That when sounds they, a little more daunting than what was the other one? High risk condition. Yeah. I mean, plus. OK. Well, I guess that's the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cancer sounds worse. Even though high risk con- uh, condition is probably a more meta description. Sure. Because it sounds worse. You could have a low risk cancer mm-hmm. versus a high risk condition. High risk condition. That's yeah. not cancer. Right. That's exactly true. It's important, I think, not only when you're giving information strategically, but also when you're receiving information and how that affects people's medical decisions. I have a list of how different types of people and how they make medical decisions. Ooh, I want to hear. Yeah. The first one is your mindset, whether you like medical experiences or you don't like medical exp- experiences. That will affect how you make those decisions. Okay. So you are you go into the hospital and you automatically just get the stomach ache because you don't like the smell. You don't like the vibe. You, you might want to just get the hell out of there. As fa- Ooh, I said hell. You That's- might want to get the heck out of there <laughs> <laughs> as fast as possible and get your, get your pill and walk out the door. If, if hell is a swear word, then we're... Yeah. <laughs> All right. What so, about damn? Is that a, no? Is that, that is a not word. Is that a, a no? Word? And damn is not a swear word. Okay. okay. So you just want to get so mindset. Okay. Yeah, that your makes mindset. Sense. Then some people are numbers people. They want to know that data, the medical data, and kind of what you were doing earlier, how it's presented. So you used data two hundred people versus one third. Right. I would not be as you. No, I would not be a number person. Right. And then the third one is more common, and that is how stories are told. This is one of the things that I think is important. I think that if you are requiring a story for you to make a medical decision, and again, going back to mom's thing, I remember specifically mom finally realizing, because it was right after the time that Ted Kennedy died of glioblastoma. So yeah, the same, same they thing. were like twins. They were twinsies. But her thing was, if Ted Kennedy did X, Y, and Z, and he had all of the resources, then that would be the thing that she should do. But if you really think about it, it's not like Ted Kennedy, every decision that Ted Kennedy, and particularly Ted Kennedy, I mean, if I took every decision he made driving, (laughs) you know, every driving decision (laughs) or voting decision, but you just think, oh, driving, that's funny. Yeah, because of... No, what was it? Chappaqu- what was it? Chappaquiddick? What, what, what? Anyway, you know that big accident. Yeah, he was, yeah. But, yeah, what was but it? I thought it had to do with drinking. Yeah. Oh, I can't even remember. It was before my time, Jennifer. Yeah, right. Anyway, but if you took all of his decisions in totality, you would not necessarily think that you were going to just put your decisions into the same bucket with his. But right. you know, you think, okay, well, that, that that metaphor is right. So if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Well, and also if you think about how you're susceptible to stories on TV, mm-hmm. we spend more time watching medical advertisements than we do with our doctor. So we could be swayed by you know, all those wonderful pills and prescriptions or uh, ads, all those ads for pills and stuff that you know, say, oh, good... you're wandering through the forest. You know, those are painting stories for you that you can be swayed. That's true. And we probably do spend more time with those than we do with our doctors. Right. And our doctors spend time with all kinds of information that we are not privy to, whether it's boondoggles going off to learn about a particular medicine or procedure. I remember, OK, this is going to be very personal. Ooh. But after I gave birth to Dane, I had a little problem down under for which I needed to see a proctologist. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, oh, girl, you need to have hemorrhoid surgery. And so let me guess what your problem was. (laughs) (laughs) It was puffy 
eyelids because <laughs> I understand preparation age is very good for puffy That's eyelids. That's what I've heard. Yes. And I said, and he says, so we have this new procedure and he brings out this thing and this is a rated PG show, but it looked like a friggin' rocket ship. It was in the shape of a rocket <laughs> oh ship. I'm like, God. what is that doing do- near my nether region? Oh my God. And he says, no, this is a new procedure. And I said to him, and the doctor was Dr. Smiley. He's retired. <laughs> I loved him That's so much. That's a good name it for a proctologist. So great. I loved him. And he said, he said, no, this is a new procedure. It's way less painful. It's way more effective. And I said, what boondoggle did you go to <laughs> to learn? I mean, he was near the end. It was return. a medicine man, a medicine man. Yeah, but I mean, like, did you go to the south of France or some the Swiss Alps and go skiing for a weekend where they taught you about using this procedure? This rocket. And he's gonna... like, and he like turned a little bit red. I mean, I, didn't, <laughs> I was like, OK, you know, I don't want to know what boondoggle convinced you to use this, but. This is affecting your decision to show me this, and that's affecting my decision to use it. So medical decisions, whether it's a doctor telling you to take this pill or you have this procedure, I mean, many of these pills are procedures that were developed after the doctor was in medical school. They, how do they learn about them? Well, they learned about them probably through the pharmaceutical companies or from the medical device companies. And even during co- uh, medical school, you know, some of these things might have become obsolete. So they do need to stay up to speed. Yeah. And it's not like you can go back to medical school and say, OK, what's happened? It's these That's companies. That's kind of scary if you think about it. It just means that these narratives and these metaphors are usually just a good starting point. But if you end on a metaphor and you end on a story, then you need you need to ask for more evidence that's okay what's the next one the maximalists oh people that they will go they will do whatever test or whatever treatment might help they're grasping at everything that's out there i think that's very common in the u.s because i think that one of the things and one of the reasons that some people don't support a universal health care is we feel that only certain things will be covered. And that means we couldn't go for the wide swath of tests. And we think that if we can't right now, if we can pay for higher level insurance that allows us to do every test under the sun, that we will have a better outcome. And I think that if these tests aren't covered by universal health care, people think that they won't be available to them. Mm. And I think the maximalists tend to be more fearful of giving this, handing this over to the government. I also think that there is an elephant in the room that I think it's surprising that we haven't addressed, which is what and how do we how do we define health? I think you can't you can't even embark on a healthcare system until you ask the curious question, how do you define health? So, for example, is a deaf person healthy? Is a what are you talking about? I mean, you have to divide it up to preventative health and then. Okay, take meditation. Keeping your health up to par or, yeah, I mean, that's a big... But no one is defining health. We can't really rally around a healthcare system when we don't define health. So, for example, if if a deaf person isn't considered healthy, then a cochlear implant would be covered. But if a deaf deaf person is considered healthy, which I think a lot of deaf people would think that they're very healthy, Mm -hmm. then a cochlear implant would not be covered. What about like insulin? I think most people would consider someone with diabetes not healthy and therefore insulin would be covered. However, if that diabetic brought it upon themselves, then what does that mean in terms of health? If we do things to ourselves to affect our health, it's a very we need to start with a definition. Well, of then health. like then would we be covering yoga and meditation? Well, like for because example, that's trying to help our health, better our health. Yeah, well, take meditation. Most people would think that's preventative, but actually there's a lot of evidence that it is also curative. So I think we need to be able to define health. Same with working out. So would the gym be be covered? 
it gets really, really tricky. And the maximalists are really probably more about procedures. I want to have these tests. I want to have these procedures. And also, they may be the ones that opt for surgeries. Now, surgeons make their living by doing surgery. So Mm -hmm. if you're not questioning, not saying that they're making suggestions for surgeries that are unnecessary because in their eyes and potentially what is necessary is it's not an exact science. Necessary for what? If right. we haven't even defined health. So the maximalist would interesting gets very it gets very, very tricky. It makes medical decisions trickier and trickier because we also have access to information, more access than ever before. But I was we gonna say probably maximalists look up a lot. Or they look up things that justify them doing more procedures mm-hmm. or having more done. And in some cases, doctors are dismissive and are not doing enough. So you read about those cases and and, and frankly, there's a gender difference with women. Women get dismissed more than men. There is some There are biases that we have to take into consideration. So I can understand maximalists. It would be very difficult to hear a statistic from a maximalist, hear a statistic that says this has an 80% rate of survival versus a 20% rate of mortality. It it would be very easy, I think, as a maximalist to be manipulated by those statistics. What any other way? Of course, there's a minimalist, the exact opposite. The naturalists who only opt for those herbal preparations that they think are identical to drugs produced in a lab. Steve Jobs was one of those types of people. A lot of people said, well, if that's good enough for Steve Jobs, it's good enough for for me until it wasn't good enough for Steve Jobs. Right. There are the believers. I think grandma was kind of a believer. Anything that the doctor says, they take as gospel. She was until near the end where she was just like, okay, I'm calling BS on this because- Well, she's still near the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she is 101. She hasn't hasn't crossed the Rubicon. (laughs) Yes, 101. (laughs) I think a lot of people, I don't know if this is a generational thing. I think a lot of people, older people, older than us, and a lot of people probably, probably our age too, do think that whatever a doctor says, because frankly, in fairness to them, they grew up without having any other options. They didn't grow up being able to look at an internet. They didn't have access to journals and all kinds of things that now we can be more skeptical because we have access to more information. Mm -hmm. The only place that older people could get information, it was from their doctors. If you didn't believe the only source of information, then then you're screwed. So I can understand how that is kind of something we look at as an age thing. I think it's really an access to information issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are the doubters. They doubt everything with, you know, they need to have a second opinion and they have to definitely look up different procedures and evidence and all of that. They very much doubt what they were told. How do you think about doubt versus skepticism? I think there's a healthy dose of skepticism. Maybe that you reflective, need to have. Skeptic- reflective skepticism. Yeah, I think that th- that's healthy, I think. And doubting is just completely, well, I mean, not necessarily because it's doubting and not just completely dismissing. But I think it feels like doubting is a lot more dismissive than skepticism, All reflective right. skepticism. And that's it. Those are, okay, so let's say the minimalists, they want to just do the very minimum. Just don't. And I think it might. I think you're going to cause more harm by doing this and that, not taking. I don't want to take medication. I don't want you to cut into me. The minimalists want to just keep on going. Keep on keeping on. But you hear about people who have had breast cancer where they have this huge tumor that's the size of a. Uh, watermelon growing out of their breasts because they didn't want to see a doctor. And I don't know. Oh, is that... Haven't you seen some of them? Yeah. Ooh, 
baby. They have teeth and hair. And I don't want to talk about it's like that. a whole other person. <laughs> but that's that's getting off the topic. I'm trying to make a distinction between people who are minimalists and people who are afraid of the doctor. Yeah. And that's a different that's yeah. a different Well, I think the the people that are afraid of the doctor would be considered their mindset was against anything that had to do with medical inve- intervention or anything. I'm not that sure would... that that's I don't I don't think that that's true. I think that they are just afraid. And once they get in there and they hear the stories, they might just say fine. I don't think that they have decided that I'm against it all, they're saying, I'm so fearful, I don't even want to look at it. Mm. I think that's different. I think a minimalist might be, I'm against it, but someone who is fearful and essentially head in the sand doesn't even want to hear about it. And I do think that when we are diagnosed with something or our kids are diagnosed with something, I think that what we are searching for, we say that we're searching for the best outcome, but what we're searching for is the best sense of hope and contentment. Mm. And sometimes achieving the hope and contentment is at odds with the best outcome because the best outcome may require you not to be comfortable, not to be hopeful, but to be more realistic. And if that is something that you are searching for is the most effective outcome, then sometimes you might have to temporarily set your contentment and hopefulness and comfort aside. And that's why it's important when you are given a metaphor or a story, I think, to ask for evidence. And again, if you just say, it's most important that we are not stressed out about my child's diagnosis, that's very different than saying, it's the most important that my child survives and we have the most effective treatment. That's a, it, it could be completely different. Mm-hmm. The other thing is not to get sucked into loss aversion, which is the framing that you are given the information, 80% chance of success versus 20% chance of failure, and looking at percentages. Whenever you're given a percentage to elevate curiosity and say, okay, what does this really mean? Am I looking at success and failure? Am I looking at survival and mortality? And am I falsely putting numbers to these things because of the emotion involved with each of these kinds of outcomes? I think this episode is such a good testament to why curiosity is so important. I mean, this is these are life and death situations. Right. And people and everyone says, I want to be a medical advocate. Everyone says, oh, you have to be your own medical advocate. I don't want to be my medical advocate. But everyone says one now. (laughs) I want you to be my medical advocate. (laughs) But everyone says, yes, we have to be our own medical advocate. So we know the words coming out of our mouths and we know that to be true. But we really don't know what that means, what that looks like. And we know what it looks like in theory. But when we have our own diagnosis or we're faced with a diagnosis of some, with someone that, with whom we love or we're close to, whatever, I think understanding medical advocacy becomes a completely like, ah, whatever. Because what does the data say means that you are opening up to hearing the data says you're going to die. Yeah. But there are these things where these particular chances and you, oh my God. And also I think- Or as mom said. Yeah, I'll never forget. (laughs) Oh God. Once we define health and we really take a look at healthcare and we're fighting and fighting over whether we want the government to provide it or not, I think a more likely scenario could be that one of these tech companies actually steps in and says, okay, the government in the United States is not providing healthcare. We're going to do it for you. This leads me to Another question, which is not the technically not the curiosity bite, would you have a chip implanted? (sighs) Okay, let me ask you this. If your insurance could drop to $500 a year with no deductible and all you had to do was offer up your data to the doctors and to Apple or to Google or to Facebook, one of these tech companies, would you have a chip implanted? Here's the thing. 
I already have so much of my information out there. I mean, I have a Chromebook, so they have most of my information anyway. So probably I would. I think most people say, no, I would never. But I think they're lying. I think most of us have already given up so much of our information that what's one more step? I know. And I think that's true. But I do think that people should stop and not be like that. I, I don't think. have an Alexa, Alexa or one of those things. You Do you? Oh, yeah, but it's always off because after mm -hmm. it, I never even call. I, well, you know the story of how I was barking at it, Siri, 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 and I was pissed <laughs> off that it didn't answer. I'm like that. Siri, Siri, I'm like Siri. that. No, I'm, I'm Alexa, you stupid idiot. I'm, I'm like that Saturday Night Live skit with the old people. Alexis, you know, <laughs> Alexandra. <laughs> Remember that? Did that you, oh, you didn't, that's hilarious. Oh, my God. Google the Saturday Night Live Alexa skit. You will <laughs> die. It is so funny. Yeah, I don't have any of that. Well, I will tell you a couple of things like. I know that Apple has been working with Aetna, one of the large health insurance companies, to provide incentives for healthy behavior and offer up personalized exercise and health tips. Do you think that those are, they're offering those up for free? No, because here's the deal. You cannot offer a health tip that is personalized without the data. So when you hear the word personalized, that is a hint that you are exchanging your data for something. Yeah. And you think, oh, well, whatever. Well, that's all fine and good until your data says that you are not insurable or you're not eligible for this surgery. Because... I know, but they already have that information. No, 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 no. Don't. It's not a fait accompli. We need to take a step back and ask the questions, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean? We need to shape our technology before it shapes us. And if we just say, oh, they already have that information. No, they don't. Google does not have information on everything you eat, your blood tests, your blood type, your BMI. Google doesn't have that information. Thank God. They might have a lot. They of, probably do. A lot of healthcare companies have a lot of privacy rules, but are there rules that stop data from outside healthcare? coming being used by the health insurance company. So for example, if the health insurance company pairs with Apple and Apple doesn't have all of these HIPAA requirements and Apple provides information to that health insurance company, then HIPAA has been breached. So the deal is you give this information to Apple on your Apple Watch and it measures your BMI and you upload everything that you've eaten. And now it partners with your, what's your healthcare company? Aetna. Aetna <laughs> partners with <laughs> Yeah, it partners with Aetna. Oh my goodness. And those and now Aetna has all of those things that have circumvented HIPAA. And you think about HIPAA. It's such a double-edged sword. Imagine if you had a psychosis, right? And you were in a psychotic break and your family couldn't help you because of HIPAA. You think about Well, like your kids. If your kids are 18, you can't get any information. An 18 an 18 year old is like a psychotic person. Well, yeah. I mean, every especially age. yours. I mean, mine, <laughs> <laughs> especially boys. Yeah. The final thing about healthcare medical decisions, I think that is interesting to think about is related to the sort of fact has to do with second opinions. Mm. We all talk about the need to have a second opinion. Everyone knows you need to have a second opinion. Do you want the tip and trick? Yes. Is to not only talk about a second opinion, but actually set it up, regardless of whether it's covered by insurance at first, set it up, make the appointment and Lock it in your first and second opinion because right minute, away, right away. That before, makes sense. Don't go to your first opinion and then decide. Without, yeah. All right. Here it is. Ready for the sort of fact. Yes. This has to do with second opinions. And it turns out that in a very, very robust study out of CPU, which is conservative prestigious <laughs> university, because you've done liberal. OK, yeah. CPU, conservative, CPU. conservative prestigious CPU. university, of which there are two. Ninety eight percent of people who go for a first opinion with an intention of seeking a second opinion, if the first opinion gives them good information, 
will not go on to get the second opinion. Whereas 39% of the people who get a negative opinion will not go on to <laughs> getting a second opinion. I mean, you're practically a doctor. <laughs> oh my God, I could marry myself. <laughs> At 49 years old, I have finally figured it out. Listen to you. If you need to use this with your friends, this podcast episode with your friends to help them become better medical advocates, please do so. We want to hear from you, your comments, your suggestions. And most importantly, please go on to Apple podcast, you know, that little purple thing on if you have a iPhone, that little purple thing. And, you and go put to the, in your BMI. Put in your BMI. <laughs> send it to us. We promise not to tell. <laughs> we promise not to share it. And also, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from you. And thank you very much. And good night. Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, subscribe to Apply Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity. <laughs>